conclusion inevitable. It was a jump to conclusions, Matt. My conclusion was that this idea was not a practical deterrent. My only conclusion can be that it was a Sith Lord. In conclusion. Hello there, folks. Welcome back to In Conclusion, the only movie podcast hosted by me, Julia Roberts. I'm Julia Roberts, and joining me today, as always, is Anna Otto. How are you, Anna? It's me, Bruce Willis. Anna's not here today. Well, how I'm are good. you, Bruce? I'm good. Dan, Dan, I lived my nightmare today. Okay. I was at pole, right? I'm taking a pole dancing class. And we had talked about, you know, music. And the instructor stated that she also does dancing on the side, you know, to, besides this job. She's a dancer at a club. And she had a private dance lesson. She asked the guy what kind of music he wanted her to dance to. And she went on a rant about Fall Out Boy. Oh, no. And um, she was like, I don't really know anything about Fall Out Boy. And I was like, <laughs> you, you what? And then at the end of class, I heard just a single G note play through the classroom. You know what that G note is, Dan? I, I assume it's sugar we're going down. Daniel, no, I know this is like a kind of a jump, but I just, you know, it was uh, Welcome to the Black Parade. Okay, yeah, no, I I was like, a, a single note is Welcome to the Black Parade. You were still yes. on Fallout Boy. No, you gotta I build the bridge. About, okay, the bridge is, she was talking about how she doesn't know any Fallout Boy, but then I said that I love them and that I like, like, old emo-y music and pop punk and all that stuff. And she played this song and I audibly gasped in the studio to which some girl from the back of the room went, I haven't heard this song in years. I should become <laughs> emo again. And then I went back to my car and cried to Helena. So, you know, Dan, that's how I'm doing today. That sounds like a, a normal day. A regular a day average day for you. That's a regular average day. The crying to Helena was already planned. It's just okay. everything else that happened in between, you know? Yeah. Well, also joining us today... Hopefully not having cried to Helena within the past 24 hours. The day is young. <laughs> That's true. Got a couple hours left. Riley Harrington. Hi, Riley. How are you? Uh, look, Dan, it's not in my nature to be mysterious, but I can't tell you how I'm feeling and I can't talk about why. I'm <laughs> oh. ready and excited to talk about our movie this week, though. That was very mysterious yeah. and I feel like I'm missing something. <laughs> Two weeks in a row, I directly <laughs> no! quote the film we watched for the episode, of which I am a guest and not even a permanent host. What's and my reference lands, you know, about as well as uh, what's a non-tasteless joke I could make here. So long. Was your first know. was it, your first joke going to be lands as well as the challenger? How did you know? Daniel! You, you know me too, too well. Soon, Dan. No, I think that's because I told um, Dan about one of one of the most absurd things I've ever I've ever been told. I said the night before, uh, one of my friends in college <laughs> was talking to me at breakfast one morning. He's like, "Hey, are you feeling all right?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm okay." And like, I went out last night. He's like, "Yeah, I saw you like when you were brushing your teeth before bed in the in, like the hall bathroom and." 
you're like just like ranting in the in the bathroom about the Challenger disaster. I'm like, what was I saying? It's like I don't think you want to hear it. It was really negative. <laughs> oh my god, Riley, are you good? Like... No, I love. I mean, I love the space program. I think those people are heroes. But I just, you know. I think I was just in a state and I was just all worked up. Maybe I don't, that could I be don't a know fun why. Podcast for you to listen to too. If somebody had just tightened the O-ring or launched with a little less ice on it, everything would have been fine. I Space terrifies me. The prospect of becoming an astronaut terrifies me. You know, that's where I stand on all this. I could never be an astronaut. I'm too tall, and you need to have perfect vision. Two things oh, I, need, I don't have. We're both screwed, Dan. I know. Those were the only things stopping me. I passed the astronaut test. Yep. I went through space camp. Yep. I was in Fast Fast 9. <laughs> Thank you. I think we might have just lost Riley. Oh, no. No, just no from, I'm here. Just from mentioning Fast 9, I heard a, a love thump. Fast and Furious. No, no that's my, that my phone. I'm being clumsy. Oh. That's okay. We'll allow it this time. Well, speaking of clumsy... That is a clumsy transition. The movie that we're talking about today <laughs> is Ocean's 12, released in 2004, Yay. directed by Steven Spielberg from a screenplay by George what? Nolfi. I said Steven who? Spielberg, and you if you take out some of the letters in Spielberg and re- replace them with the letters in Soderbergh, you'll get the correct director, Steven Soderbergh. You said Steven Spielberg, and I was like, I think I watched the wrong movie. Like, <laughs> Filmed it at the same time as Munich. Oh my god! Much more lighthearted. Yeah. <laughs> he, he needed something to take his mind off the project. <laughs> uh, written by George Nolfi, who also wrote The Born Ultimatum <gasps> and The oh. Banker. Jesus Christ! It's it's Jason Bourne. You know who plays Jason Bourne? Jeremy Renner. Wait, I gotta double check in case I'm wrong. No, you're Hang right. On. It's Matt Damon. Oh, thank God. I was so worried. <laughs> oh, God. That would have been so funny. Like it's Eric Bana. I, I literally, I don't Star know if you know this, Riley. I cannot tell actors apart. Like, at all. Oh, no. I love That's... Matt Damon, but you could literally have shown me a picture of Ben Affleck, and I probably would have been like, yeah, Matt looks different here. Is it, that you can't, dudes. is it that you can't tell them apart? Or you're just like, you know, actors look different on and off stage. I think I choose to not pay attention all the time to who's in movies. You know, like if it's not a movie that, well, then again. You are Disney's perfect consumer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I have to get rid of my Disney adult title. It's absolutely horrifying. I hate it here. Uh, so, Ocean's 12 stars. The the list. George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Andy Garcia's... Andy Garcia's lazy eye. Don Cheadle, oh Bernie God. Mac, Julia Roberts, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, Vincent Cassell, Eddie Jemison, Carl Reiner, and last but certainly not least, Elliot Gould. I have something to say again right away. Okay. Do we think Don Cheadle's accent is worse in this movie than it was in the last one? Yes. Okay. Even better. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's a, a diverging scale because like the worse it gets, the better it gets. 
Don was yeah. like, I cut the check. I'm not doing the accent. It's fine. At one point, he's uh, giving another character advice um, on how to do an accent. And then, you know, like dropping G's, elongating vowels. <laughs> and I was just cracking up because <laughs> I was just picturing something like voice coach, like talking to Don Cheeto and him just kind of like staring off past him like, uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. and it's not listening at all. And my like, people no, I know write that down. I'm like, British guys are like, like this. Yeah, he went to the the Dick Van Dyke School of Accents. Um, released on December tenth, two thousand four, canonically making this a Christmas movie with a budget of one hundred ten million dollars. It made three hundred. What? It's not a Crimbus movie. A hundred. I won't allow it. 110 million that was it that's the budget oh my god it made 362 million dollars at the box office on rotten what what we really need though Mm -hmm. is we need to make more movies that cost a fucking billion (laughs) dollars to make and we're gonna sink so much money into making like toys and birthday party decorations for them that if they're not four quadrant successful and they don't make back their money, we're absolutely screwed. We this need sounds... to do that 12 times a year. This is a, literally an excerpt from the Disney boardroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, $110 million and they made this. This is a Michael Eisner quote. Here's, here's what I will say. They should have made Ocean's 12 with a billion dollar budget. I want a rusty action figure with real moving food. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it comes with detachable ice cream. Yeah. God. 40 shrimp. Everything no. you need. Um, I, want, I want the uh, the two-pack that's just uh, Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck's figures, and they're just bickering with each other. And it's almost like a Rock'em Sock'em <laughs> robot set. <laughs> uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 54% approval rating. What? Yeah. That's an F. <laughs> critical but, all the reviews were written by me. The critical Every consensus one. reads, while some have found the latest star-studded heist flick to be a fun, glossy star vehicle, yeah. others declare it's lazy, self-satisfied, and illogical. It makes fun of itself the entire time. Oh my god. This the plot didn't make sense. It's a bad movie. God, what a spoiled culture we are. Oh. Perfect. It's vibes. <laughs> I literally want that written on a shirt. I loved that. That was a good film. Line. Critics in 2004 are disgusting pigs, and I have no respect for them. Oh my god. Well, respect, respect for one. Roger Ebert, three out of four stars, and applauded its cleverness. The movie takes inventory of its characters with the same droll wit it does everything else. The movie's all about behavior, dialogue, star power, and wise-ass in-jokes. I really sort of liked it. Sometimes I feel like he's just here for a good time, not a long time. You know what I mean? Like, he's just here for a party, Mm -hmm. mister. I've heard some insane takes from him about movies where I'm just like, how do you not, like, get the joke here? Like, how are you not enjoying this? But that, he's 100% right. Actually, no, he's 75% right, because this is a perfect movie, and he only gave it three and a half stars, because he's a fool and a dog. I'm going to say it right off the bat. There are parts of this movie that I enjoyed far more than I did in the first movie. 
Yes, I'm winning. I, I think it's mostly because there was more Julia Roberts, and I like that there was a woman or two for me to pay attention to. More than just some pretty men flouncing around the screen for my, my feminine gaze. Yeah, now there are two main pretty women in the cast. No Catherine Zeta-Jones. Am I right? Ayo. Catherine Zeta Jones joins Julia Roberts. And I'm I'm just I am struck by how attractive everyone is when they go to Europe. I don't know what happens. They're the same people. They just travel across the ocean ten times more attractive. Okay, I'm gonna have to do a trip really quick. I'll be back uh <laughs> later. This is just a gorgeous looking movie Mm -hmm. from the way it's lit to the actual people in it the locations that they're on because obviously you have to up the ante and what's you know flashier and more you know appealing to the eye than you know las vegas Mm -hmm. various cities in europe even the cinematography and the way that the camera moves at different points in the film is so so like well done it's gorgeous it is a i was barely paying attention to like the dialogue at some points because i liked just watching how breezy it all like moved together it wasn't just kind of like point and shoot we can you know fix this in post kind of assembly line filmmaking it was really creative and flashy and fun and people might call it self-indulgent but i mean I'd like some indulgence every now and again on the movies. Uh, two fun facts about Steven Soderbergh. He was the cinematographer on this as well as directing. Mm. And he was the second unit director on The Hunger Games. Really? The first oh, one? Yeah. Huh. How do you How do you think that happened? Like, what's the story there, do you think? I think he was bored after finishing Magic Mike. Yeah. Excuse me? Heels of Contagion. Yeah. I don't know. Is he friends with Gary Ross? That's really the only thing that makes sense to me. Only thread I could see is... <gasps> Philip Seymour Hoffman? Did they ever work together? Was that like the bridge? I don't know. Just... He, the... he was in the sequel, though. He was... Yeah. Jesus. No idea. No idea. Um, Anna, why did you gasp? Because I had no freaking idea. That Steve Soderbergh directed Magic Mike? Yeah, he yeah. directed a shit ton of movies. <laughs> okay, hot take, hot take, hot take. Sorry, all. Magic Mike XXL is better. I'm sorry. And That's I know like he consensus. didn't direct it. Yeah. I'm sorry. He was the oh cinematographer. He cinematographized Which Magic is, Mike um, XXL. I didn't want to offend. Alias? Peter Andrews. He uses a name. Yeah, I think he uses, like, what, his parents? And then Marianne Bernard is when he's an editor. I love that. I think that's so funny that he has, like, little alter egos. That's his Sasha Fierce. You know, like Beyonce. (laughs) (laughs) Who's that? I can't, I straight up cannot say my Beyonce take on this podcast if I... Do not offend. It would derail please. it too bad. It would derail my uh, future life, life basically. <laughs> uh, so wow. just imagine what it is and you'll probably be I right. I can hear it and I'm upset. Mm-hmm. 
I, no, I can't. I can't. Dan, press on. Just press, press on. Press on. So, <laughs> let's get into the movie. Um, Ocean's 12 starts off, guess what? The gang, what? they're all living separately. They're all living their picture-perfect lives. Danny Ocean, he's married. Brad Pitt, he's running a hotel, allegedly in Las Vegas. Uh, the twins... They're getting married. One of them is not thanking the other. Everyone's life is going swimmingly. Until Andy Garcia's lazy eye wants his money back. Well, well, well. If it isn't the consequences of the gang's <laughs> actions. Uh, and Andy Garcia's lazy eye has also now required the use of a cane to get around. Furthering my idea that he is slowly <laughs> disintegrating through the plot of the three movies. And by the end of the third, he will just be in a basket. <laughs> the incredible <laughs> shrinking casino owner. I'm going to let that joke simmer for a while. Mm -hmm. Just sit and wait until somebody agrees with me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Andy Garcia, he's suddenly able to find every single member of the Ocean's crew all in the span of one montage. I mean, it was very concise. Yeah. I appreciated its swiftness. Even faster than the last movie and getting you to, like, here's the whole gang. Here's yeah. the situation. Yep. Um, Seven minutes. Very economical. <laughs> and basically, Don't waste my time. He, he gives them an ultimatum. Two weeks to get all his money back, plus interest, and it's the interest mm. that gets you. Um, God, it kills you. Yeah. Quite <laughs> Or they're all gonna die. Mm, quite the old tomato, am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they stole 160 million dollars. Interest is 38 million dollars. Gasp. So they have to get Andy Garcia 198 million dollars in two weeks. How are they gonna do it? They can't work in the can't states. Work in America. They're yeah. marked. So Too hot. They go to the only place that they can work. Or the only place where the actors wanted to spend the summer at George Clooney's villa. <laughs> you're up, baby! Ah, you're up. I didn't know what I was doing there. I just was trying to flounce off of what you were doing, Dan. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like you were doing the, fla the Queen Flash song. Flash! You're ah, up! You're up! <laughs> yes, They're in Amsterdam. <laughs> That's where they go, Amsterdam, in the Netherlands. Trivia question. There's only one other country that starts with the. Do you know what it is? The Czech Republic. No. Vatican. Yes. Oh. Oh, that's, wait, what, the Czech Republic, isn't it? It's just or Czech Republic. I'm Googling it. The No, Czech it's the Vatican. Republic. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, As you're she's right. Googling. You're right. I want to circle back to the very opening scene of the film. Okay. Brad Pitt returning home in the rain, starting off in a stormy, seemingly very high-end European home. And, you know, he's greeting his uh, live-in girlfriend, who is played by Catherine Zeta-Jones. Beautiful. Gorgeous in this film. And he's, you know taking off his shoes, sitting down, 
catching up with her on her day, mm-hmm. asking her about the case that she's investigating, because she is a member of Interpol. And then slowly, as Brad Pitt is taking off his boot, we learn that she found a boot print at the crime scene that she's investigating. And they mm-hmm. also found a hair sample. Mm. And the entire time, oh, out of her line of sight, you can kind of see Brad Pitt putting together the pieces that he's about to be made. Because obviously, Rusty Ryan can't resist the danger of falling in love with an Interpol agent. Mm-hmm. And in my, like one of my favorite freeze frames in the history of film, the very opening of this thing, right when I believe it's Columbia Pictures presents Pops, Mm-hmm. Film stock freezes right as Brad is, oh. you know, cranks the shower on. And is like, I'll be out in a minute. You know, don't wait up for me. Jumps right out of the window. I literally I remember thought... sorry, rolling into Ocean's Twelve right after finishing Ocean's Eleven, and just seeing that opening scene, and knowing immediately in my heart, like this is exactly what I wanted. They're not going to fuck up the rest of this movie if that is the first step we're taking. Just a really playful. It felt like something I would see Robert Redford doing in a film like The Hot Rock or something from the 70s, mm-hmm. except it was way more modern and way more, you know, I guess, refined looking. It looked a lot better. It had a lot more care and craft put into it than something a bit more hands-free from the studio. And it was really, really cool seeing a big blockbuster being that playful out of the gate. Rather than having it be like, ooh, it's the one fun scene. It was just, that's the attitude that we're going into the whole movie with. Yeah. Um, slightly related question. What's it called when a vampire eats a movie star from Missouri and feels nervous about it? Is this a, um... It doesn't need to be a vampire. It, just a cannibal. Somebody oh, I eats... thought you were doing it. I thought you were no, doing not an interview, interview with a vampire, vampire joke, no. Go on, what is it? Uh, you'd say that they have a pit in their stomach. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no. You can address your checks to me, mail them, and I will deposit them in the nearest bank branch. Yes, Dan, that's I'm right. tired. Send me your address. <laughs> I am weary, Dan. Uh, so, the, the gang's plot, they're going to steal the world's oldest stock certificate issued by the Dutch East India Company for 2.5 million euros, which is nowhere near the amount of money they need. In fact, if they pull out one of these every week, it will take them five years to actually pay off the full debt. And that, I don't know how far you went in math, but five years is a little longer than two weeks. So they're in a bind, a jam, if you will. A lot of impossible situations arise for the gang in this movie. Yes. Well, the first one was very difficult circumstances that made the heist a lot harder. This one is just like, well, this is just not possible. Yeah. We just simply can't do it. There's no way out of here. It's like a, a locked room murder mystery. Mm-hmm. But invariably, they're going to find a way out. Amen. What, what can't they do? Um... So they go about trying to figure out how to break into an agoraphobe's house who has a world-class security system and has not left his home in the years since he has built it. And the best plan that they can come up with, because they are in Amsterdam, is to just lift the building up. Why not? Not connected. 
Clever. Not Love connected that. to any neighboring structures. You just lift the wood. The scene of them brainstorming where they're starting to realize, like, oh, like, we're not going to, you know, have enough money. This guy doesn't leave his house. Like, it's an impossible shot. We have no access. We have no angle here. It's really fun seeing that scene in the hotel room in uh, Amsterdam because it is so very different from a lot of, like, the high setup scenes in the previous movie. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're in Ruben's house in Vegas in Ocean's Eleven, it's all very static, very um, controlled pans and stuff whereas in this one a lot of the scenes between the whole gang sitting together bouncing ideas off one another is handheld it's like you're watching a tennis match you're moving around going from danny to rusty to reuben to the twins all just kind of bickering with one another and the really brilliant part of this scene i think is the sound mixing because there are so many golden lines that are just audible enough for rewatches to like you can just listen to a different character and it just has a different like impact on the scene i really recommend throwing on subtitles for this one Mm -hmm. um, because there were so many lines that i had never heard that i saw (laughs) and almost all of them were from um, casey affleck because he is like that very low mumbly register where it's just audible enough and every line he has is just killer and seeing the whole gang playing off one another is really fun because you don't really get a lot of the big group interactions in the first one because they're all spread out doing their tasks. Mm-hmm. This, they're kind of huddled together in this hotel room, stepping on each other's toes, bickering about who's in line for the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the gang, they go about hatching and executing their plan to break into the house. They do. They get in. They get into the safe. But what do they find? They don't find the world's oldest stock certificate issued by the Dutch East India Company. Meaning, canonically, this is a Christmas movie and a sequel to the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Thank you. I thought I had heard something about... Oh, I knew there was a connection to pirates and I'm so glad you said it. I thought I was going crazy, Dan. I really did. And the, the real world... Uh, Dutch East India Trading Company from uh, history, founding of our country. (laughs) No, no, just pirates. I'm a Disney adult. Um, They just find a note from from who, you're wondering? Well, let me tell you from who. Who, Dan? The Night Fox. (gasps) What in the Marvel movie is this? Well, let me give you some exposition on who the Night Fox is. European thief, trained by retired thief Gaspar Lamarck, and he thinks that he is the world's greatest thief. What's he in it for? He's in it for the nookie. I mean, he's in it for the pride. Lord above. (laughs) Um, And he was the one who told Terry Benedict where and who all of Ocean's Eleven were. He broke rule number one. Don't talk about Fight Club. Wrong Brad Pitt movie. movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So now what's happening is that... So the fox, he's upset that Lamarck agreed to call Danny the best thief in the world uh, after hearing about the Bellagio job. Uh, so the, the fox. The Bellagio jumps. I know. I, I never mind. 
This is a Christian podcast, Anna. <clears throat> it sounds sexual. The bickering over what they referred to the first movies of Ences is also a great little moment between the whole gang. Mm-hmm. So everyone's like, oh, you know, why are we suddenly Ocean's Eleven? <laughs> this is such a proprietary thing, you know. Everyone had their own parts to we, play. We were independent contractors. Like. Independent <laughs> Casey Affleck, one of the killer lines of the scene, is going like, I just thought we all agreed to call it the Benedict job. It's what we called it when we were doing it. <laughs> and then he just kind of trails off. Uh, so the fox has a challenge. Um the, he wants to them to steal the coronation egg in Rome, which is a Fabergé egg, of mm. which I still don't get why they matter. That's like a just a thing wealthy people collect, isn't it? That's just what I assume. I also collect eggs, but it's because I don't make enough eggs before they go bad and they just sit in my fridge. Not the same, Daniel. Not the same, Daniel. They grow things that look like diamonds. Ew, Dan, ew. <laughs> Throw your eggs out. <laughs> um, so the only way on those. to tell who the better thief is is who is stealing the egg first. Danny Ocean, who in... I don't know how in anyone's mind they think this man alone is the world's greatest thief. Or He's had no help. the f- weird-ass French guy who seems like he can teleport places. <laughs> he's like a prince i think yeah or something. i wonder who's gonna win oh well um if danny's team wins all of their debts are paid off if the fox wins no 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 they're they dead <laughs> and thus we have the stakes of the film um, and those stakes are a little different than the stakes that are holding the house up that the gang lifted only a few minutes prior <laughs> Um, the Interpol detective is the daughter of a thief herself. I wonder who we'll find out at some point. Um, and she runs into Brad Pitt in the market and she's like, didn't I see you before? I don't think so. No, I'm pretty sure I did. Quick flashback. It's Brad Pitt getting chased by the cops. And that's where she recognizes him from. Very funny. Classic. Mm-hmm. The whole construction of this film narratively is so many flashbacks, so many jumps ahead, mm-hmm. and then kind of working your way back through breaking into the building and stuff and seeing where each member of the gang like learned where their specific skills. I, I love it because it's not... It's like it recognizes, like, oh, the fun twist of the first one is like, oh, the whole time, like, you know, the, the characters knew something that the audience didn't. Mm-hmm. This time, it's the characters will do something that the audience doesn't expect or will make 100% sense, and then it's very quickly kind of explained to you, or in certain cases, at certain plot points, they really drag it out Yes. as a bit. And that's even a thing with some of the characters in the film. They're not 100% certain of their own role in the heist and in the grander plot of the film because it's kind of necessary that they don't understand what's going on. It's very fun kind of like keeping your audience in the dark at the same time as keeping the characters in the film in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Catherine Zeta-Jones, she figures out that Rusty was involved in the heist 
uh, for the stock. So she she confronts him, ends up taking his phone. Big oops. <laughs> and then arrests uh, Bernie Mac, leaving a nail salon. <laughs> the second nail salon we see Bernie Mac yeah. in in this film. I mean... Oh, and he starts. Work. He starts the film just completely rolling off the same energy he had in his best scenes in the last film, mm-hmm. basically doing stand-up comedy, but just so naturally monologuing. <laughs> he probably has my favorite of all of the different like Terry Benedict like pounces on the members of the gang. <laughs> that one was my favorite because he just. Oh, you're so going a little tough kids. there. Oh, he's talking about. <laughs> is the guy um one of the first like uh black hockey players yeah and he's like you're never gonna see his name on the stanley cup and you want to know why <laughs> it's just that whole energy it's so fucking funny uh so now oceans 11 have become oceans 10 because bernie mac is no longer he, he is incapacitated um mm. So, Actually, they're down to nine at that point because earlier Saul said. Oh yeah, too Saul old. just, just oh, drops yeah. out. Too old. Yeah, such is life. He also has the best hey, line, um, I think, in the movie, uh, which is, "I want the last last check that I write to bounce." That's so cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think the best line in the movie is. Stop yelling at me or I'm going to shit on your shoes. <laughs> By Elliot Gould, directed at Scott Kahn, which I'm certain is an improvised line because you can see Scott Kahn like, very clearly break and just like, crack up walking away out of the frame. Uh, so the, the gang, they, they gather in their hideout and come up with a plan to steal the egg. Um, but the plan doesn't work because they all get captured. Basically. <laughs> Um, like as they're coming up with the plan, they're they're also showing them like executing it and just failing every time mm-hmm. they they move on from step to step. It's like arrested here, arrested there, arrested wherever. So basically, we are left with Linus, small gas, as in charge of what remains of the crew. Um, Stepping up to a leadership position. He so desperately wanted... wanted, Yeah, he wanted more... He wanted a bigger role. A more central role. (laughs) (laughs) Now he's the center of it all. Uh, So so Linus, in in his desperation, trying to figure out how they can break Danny and Rusty and everybody out of jail, um, he tries to rally the members of the team and Tess... Tries to get I her mean, to come um, to Amsterdam. hated the criminal lifestyle that Danny had and was tolerant of it, especially now that they were retiring. But now, suddenly, she's being hauled across the ocean. Oh, my <laughs> God. This, I'm going to say it. This is my favorite part in the whole movie, like, by far. Well, Interesting. top favorite part, yeah. Anna, Interesting. Anna what, what is their plan with Tess? Well... They're going to have her impersonate Julia Roberts. <laughs> and I'm rolling on my couch laughing my butt off like this is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. I just thought, like, it's clever. I mean, 
the idea of having that character live in the same world as actual Julia Roberts. And, like, I just love shit like that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just always think that that's so funny. And the whole bit with Bruce Willis, too, just really kills me. And it so it does open up a can of worms um, mm-hmm. because just direct connections. Bruce Willis is in 12 Monkeys with Brad Pitt. Does Brad Pitt exist in this? Do all the are all the oceans just exactly. doppelgangers of like their identical. actual actors? Mm-hmm. But they only notice with Julia Roberts. Oh, uh, actually, you know what? I think I could probably explain this away. For Twelve <laughs> Monkeys, any kind of crossover there, I would say ninety. What was that? Ninety nine. Twelve Monkeys came out mm-hmm. around then. You could theoretically put Guy Pierce in that role, uh, and it really wouldn't. I don't think change much of the performance, and uh, that's probably the multiverse equivalent where uh, the Ocean's movies exist. <laughs> Brad Pitt, you know, roles are taken by Del Toro, let's say Billy Crudup, Guy Pierce, but Julia Roberts still exists here, and just so <laughs> happens to look exactly like. <laughs> well, didn't you hear the ears are off? So ah, oh, the one ear is slightly big. Yeah. <laughs> um. This is also the scene where uh, Don Cheadle is giving accent advice to her oh, yes. God. on how to talk with a slight southern <laughs> and they're accent. they're like giving her facts that are actually true about Julia Roberts. It <laughs> just had me dying. And your middle name is Fiona. Some some facts that are true and some that are incorrect because they're oh, just really? spitting information <laughs> at this non-professional. Um, so they... Uh, try to use Julia Roberts' fame to get them a private audience with the Fabergé egg so they can steal it. But their plan is slightly thrown awry because of the existence and appearance of Bruce Willis as Bruce Willis, um, <laughs> who recognizes Julia Roberts and, and starts picking up vibes that something is wrong. Uh, God, he's so good in this movie. <laughs> now... I really miss seeing him in, like, significant roles that require him to be acting, acting. I, I really hope we get a handful more before he kind of hangs it up. I don't know. When I was the I last Luke... time that he cared in a movie, honestly? Oh, Looper, Moonrise Kingdom. Okay, that's he had almost ten one. years ago. No, he had another one pretty recently <laughs> that actually was like shockingly good. Not, I've heard not glass. I've heard good things about the new Death Wish, which I'm sh- I can't imagine the whole movie is good, but I bet if any part of it is, it's him. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, God, ten fucking <laughs> Moonrise Kingdom uh, was 2012. I you know. He's such a good actor. It it always blows my mind when I go back and I watch stuff like Twelve Monkeys that I haven't seen yet, and I like rewatch Pulp Fiction, and I'm like, oh fuck, like why did and Die Hard? I saw Die Hard like the first time this past winter, blew my mind. Mm-hmm. I was just so taken away. I was like, oh right, like this is why he's like a big famous movie star. He's an incredible talent. And it's just such a bummer that like you know we don't get roles like this anymore. They're like playful, and he's like really committed. Mm-hmm. I, I like to think that he's a, a big movie star still off of his fame from Moonlighting. Uh, that's the hardest anybody has laughed at a joke. 
in or around moonlighting. <laughs> I am so sorry. I'm not going to lie to you. I disassociated for a second because my boss texted me and I went into panic mode. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's fine. We're just talking about Bruce Willis's starring turn in the sitcom Moonlighting from the 80s. No, you're totally fine. Go um, ahead. To, to make another niche joke, to repeat a joke I made on Twitter. Oh, God. Um, no. Last week, uh, in on tr- under the trending tab on Twitter, it, it was about Jeopardy and how the the, the host that they hired, yes. they fired. Um, it was, so it was Jeopardy trending with Mike Richards, comma, Mike Richards, to which... Oh, my God. I saw this tweet. <laughs> I, made on, the, I made the only uh, possible joke that you could make from that. The reboot of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman that nobody ever asked for. That's very niche of you, Dan. Very niche of you. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know what Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman was, it was a parody of a sitcom, or a parody of a soap opera that aired from January 1976 to June 1977. That's one season. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 13 episodes. If we're lucky. It's actually 325 episodes because it aired daily. Oh my oh god! Oh god! Right, because it was oh it was a no. soap opera parody. It's exhausting. <laughs> it was a soap opera parody in like real time. Yeah. yeah. It's not oh like god, soap, which sounds... was about the making of a soap opera. No, it was just a, like a straight up parody soap opera. Yeah, I figured it'd be like Twin Peaks, where it's like, oh, it's inspired by soap operas, but there's like an episode a week because like you have to like, <laughs> oh my god, that sounds. That sounds both engaging and fucking terrible. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, and you know what? What a perfect joke. What a perfect airtight joke. Everyone loves. Everybody loves. Mary it. Hartman, Mary Hartman reboot. Mike, Mike Richards. Richards. Mike I Richards. will say it got interactions from people. I don't know how they found it. And it happened oh, four days after I tweeted it. <laughs> They found Dan. me, Marty. I don't know how, but they found me. Dan, you're on your way to becoming famous. You're going to go viral in no time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> uh, so the, the their attempt to, to gain an audience with the egg doesn't work because uh, Bruce Willis. Did you just say on. get an audience with the egg? Yeah. What? I don't know why, but that sounded so funny. That's also the plot of the Jimmy Neutron movie. I, yes, <laughs> with the chicken. Yeah. Oh, um, I loved Jimmy Neutron. And the gang is all arrested. Um, so now they're all in jail. They're all kind of resigned to their fate. George Clooney very handsomely is resigned <laughs> to his fate. He's so <laughs> handsome in the whole movie. He's so handsome. But... Uh, are they putting all of, I forget, are they putting them all in the same jail cell? Because I feel like that'd be really funny. I think, I think they, they do. do, yeah. <laughs> um, and a, a U.S. Yeah, official. We're, we're coming up on my second favorite part. Yeah, a U.S. official, Agent Molly Starr, comes to interrogate the team and offers them uh, a deal. Basically, um, well, first, she, she sends off Catherine Zeta-Jones because of irregularly filed paperwork, getting I mean, her out of the, the uh, situation. And then she offers classic. a deal if the gang will give up the other members of the team to get out of their charges in Europe and only face charges for the Bellagio job in the U.S. Um, 
She's really grilling Matt Damon. Yeah, I mean, who, she I, really is. I'm so embarrassed. Who is the actress who plays uh, the U.S. agent? Uh, that is Cherry Jones. Cherry what a Jones. name! Yeah, she seems incredibly familiar, and I feel like I've seen her in other stuff. She is she... in Succession currently. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> is she? Uh, is that Jerry? I thought it was Jerry too. No, she's not. Um, she's Nan. She was also in The Handmaid's Tale. <gasps> Too sad. Uh, Transparent. 24, she played the president. Oh. I definitely recognize her from Succession then. But she, she was, really... She was in an episode of Frasier as Janet. Oh, I love Frasier. Maybe I remember <laughs> her from that. Odds are I probably do. I probably watch these. During my oh, I definitely did watch Ocean's Twelve during my year where I just binge watched Frasier and Mad Men simultaneously. <laughs> if she was on Twenty Four, she probably has lulled me to sleep at some point in my life since my parents used to watch that every single night while I went to bed when I was younger. <laughs> oh man, my parents. It would be. It wasn't every single night, but it was The Amazing Race. Ooh, a wonderful choice, truly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so Matt Damon, he breaks under pressure really easily and gives up the whole team. Um, Classic. And everybody gets arrested. Bold like a launcher. Yeah. They all get arrested by the U.S. agents, uh, and then they're, they're carted, off. carted to the airport for extradition. And Linus, um, he's in the car with Molly. I guess he gets special treatment because he was the one who ratted. Um, but Molly gives him the keys to the handcuffs, and what's up? Molly is Linus's mother. Oh, oh. I loved it. I knew it right away. I was like, that's definitely his mom. After she got him in the car, not during the interrogation. I'm not that smart, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that reveal. It gave me life, Dan. It also perfectly fits with his character, through, that we've established through the two movies, how he's trying to like escape the shadow of his parents, but like, oh my god, when he's up, yeah. with, cornered against the wall, he's like, that, I've got to call my parents; they could get me out of this. He's, you know, he's a mama's boy. I yeah. mean, come on. Well, there's the the point in the thing where she's like, I told your father about this, and his only action is, you told dad. I know dad. it was so cute. Yeah. I was thing- like, oh. The first thing he says to Terry Benedict is um, when he's like getting cornered and he's like in the back of the car with Andy Garcia. He's like, you know, you know, I'd really appreciate it if you just like didn't tell my father or yeah. my mother. <laughs> he's just like, please don't tell my parents. I stole, I stole two hundred million dollars from you. Oh my goodness. Oh god, what a movie. So cute. So, the car that Rusty's in it changes lanes and takes him to a private jet, but Isabel is following them. Uh, and then Rusty tells Isabel that um, he knows where her long-lost father is. He's not dead. He's alive. Um, but he was prevented from seeing Isabel by her mother, who threatened to go to the police and confess everything that she knew if he ever came back. Um, so Rusty then convinces Catherine Zeta-Jones to get on the plane with her and he will go take her to see her long-lost dad. Now, um, women or men, if someone ever comes up to you and says, I can take you to your long-lost dad, 
skedaddle. Just get in this vehicle with me and we will cross country borders? They teach you think, that when you're three. Think twice about it. Then say yes, but think twice. Daniel, absolutely <laughs> not. I, always say no, I kids. never said, okay, don't always say no, kids. It, when a stranger, when a stranger's knocking to you. To you yeah, all the children that listen to this podcast and listen to it for the advice. Welcome to the advice corner. Uh, Hello, children. If a stranger ever comes up to you and they don't have candy, say no. If they do Dan. have candy, that's how you know you can trust them. No, don't listen to Dan ever. That's rule number one. <laughs> uh, listen to your parents, kids. Rule number one, don't trust Dan. Now what are they going to do, huh? Uh-oh, I'll tell them. Rule number one, don't trust Dan. Rule number two, trust your parents, unless they're Dan. Hey! Sorry, Dan. My unborn That's children take offense to that. At Poppy. Oh, Poppy, my cat. I, I feel really bad. I accidentally stepped on her foot today. <gasps> oh, no. Dan! No, I feel so bad about it. Like, I was... Go directly to jail, Dan. Seriously! <laughs> I'm putting you in prison. Hello, police. I, I was coming in from our patio, and she was standing by the screen door going inside. And I was trying to keep her from running out. And, yes. But in doing so, I stepped forward, uh, and I accidentally stepped on her paw, and she what let out like a howl oh. and ran away. Oh, no. and, oh my, I feel so... No, laugh. I feel so <laughs> bad about it, because she doesn't laughing. know that I feel so bad. I'm just laughing because I'm picturing the face you made. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hearing Poppy scream, and I'm hearing you being like, No! Poppy, no! I love Poppy. Yeah, me too. I just hope she will someday love me back. She's probably gr uh, glaring at you from across the room right now. Um, No, she's actually... We have a little cat tent that we put on the mm -hmm. patio. It's called a catio. Love that. Uh, and she, at least at the start of recording this, she was inside that as Anna was oh. working out out there very cute the catio the girls were working out together yes poppy was working on her <laughs> digging a hole to escape mm -hmm. and anna was doing crunches yep speaking girls speaking of crunches danny and tess go to the night fox at his lake como house and they have a mm, nice his perry como house Ooh, this is where Ooh. i would sing a perry como song but the only one that i know off the top of my head is there's no place like home for the holidays sing it Christmas dan movie. take oh, it home there's dan. no place like home for the holidays wow. that was beautiful dan. thank you it's on now that's what i call music if you want to get it thank you you're welcome uh, so at the Night Fox's house, uh, the Night Fox, guess what? He's an arrogant little Frenchman because he's French. And this came out in 2004 when we renamed them Freedom Fries. Uh, what? Oh, you don't know about that? They're French to me. Mais oui. Every time. Oui, oui, mon ami. Je m'appelle Lafayette. You know that my mom made me take French through high school because she wanted me to be an Olympic translator? That's very specific. She didn't want you to be, like, a French teacher. Like... No. But the official language of the Olympics is French. Oh. So she wanted weird. me to be one of the translators who translates from French to English. Hmm. Well, you know, aim low. <laughs> be something normal, like a teacher or something. Um... So the Night Fox, basically, he describes what he did 
to steal the egg. He climbed through the roof of the museum, so he wasn't seen by the recon team. He did a he did he did a <laughs> the recon team of Casey Affleck and Scott Con in one of my favorite scenes in the whole trilogy, where they're just it's the most pure concentrated bickering between the two of them that you get. <laughs> It's just like it's basically just like I'm not touching you level arguing. Yeah, basically, fucking funny. (laughs) They're two halves of a whole idiot for real. Absolutely, (laughs) they're the best. Also, another costume change for them. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, the Night Fox. uh, He also did what can best be described as a Christopher Walken weapon of choice dance through. Oh God! Don't even through the lasers in the museum. It was too much. It really was too much. Awesome. Uh, Absolute most. And then he steals the egg. And his whole thing is he, he told Danny that he would tell that story if Danny admits that he's the best thief in the world. Um, and after hearing the story, Danny's like, you know what? You're right. You are the best thief in the world. And this just shows a great lack of character awareness for the Night Fox and Danny Ocean. Do you think Danny Ocean cares about being called the best thief in the world on a surface level i don't think so i think there is a part of danny that wants that the same way like he just wanted Tess back he was going to mm-hmm. do the stupid risky dangerous job with you know in the 11 crew with everyone to do that this i don't think he really does care i think yeah. at this point he was more concerned with saving his own skin but yeah. i think as it developed i think when it got personal uh when uh the Night Fox calls to uh, wake up Danny mm-hmm. uh, for his morning like wake up call at instead of you know five a.m. day of calls him at like eleven thirty night before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just that kind of stuff where it's like it's personal then. Mm-hmm. Then it's a, a bitter rivalry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Danny hears the story. He says, "You're the best thief," and then he says, "Pay whatever he owes him." What? Why? But you lost. No, no, no. Danny Ocean didn't lose, Night Fox. You lost. Mm-hmm. So, this whole movie, everything that we have seen since they've gotten to Europe has been a long, long con. What a twist. Because Loved it. they knew that the Night Fox would be watching them, so they needed to come up with an elaborate ruse to go through the motions and make it seem like they were stealing the egg, when in reality, they stole the egg by faking a fight on a train, and Matt Damon just grabbed it and put it in his backpack. Iconic. And then the whole awesome. Because Matt Damon's movie, wearing those cute glasses of his. That's how you know he's going to get stuff done. That's how you know he's a talented little boy. Does he actually need glasses? I'm going to Google it. I don't think so. Does Matt Damon wear glasses? Why are you heavy breathing? Life? So yeah, it's like you're here. You, I feel like a hacker. <laughs> um. So they, yeah, they set up the whole thing just as a show for the Night Fox so that he wouldn't um, catch on to their ruse, basically. Um, the bag, we then see it at their hideout. Um, and then the fox is crestfallen. Danny's victorious, and he ends up writing him a check for $192 million. God. I love... 
just the constant rug pulling. And it is the entire joke in, I mean, I discussed it last week. It's the whole joke of that Rick and Morty making fun of heists thing where it's like, oh, you don't know who's going to double cross you. It's all just stupid subversion after stupid subversion. <laughs> I was like, watching this, I was like, that's, that's 100% right. They were absolutely talking about Ocean's 12 when they did this. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I knew everything was going to like work out. Like, oh, this American person, like, oh, I wonder if they have an in with this person. The whole scene with um, Matsui, where it's like you don't see the actual negotiation or the audience isn't supposed to know it. I'm like, oh, I wonder what the twist is going to be here. Mm-hmm whole time and they even kind of make fun of this in the movie itself during the bruce willis sequence when matt damon and the museum director separately are explaining like oh you know in the sixth sense when uh the lady didn't talk to you at the diner yeah i I knew that's when i knew (laughs) but the whole movie still worked for me like this whole time like i was trying to like look for the like the decoy vault moment Mm -hmm. where it's like oh that hologram technology i'm like okay where's this gonna go yeah and the movie still works. It does. It's fun and it's delicious because it's not about, ooh, how are they going to do this? It is purely about we're hanging out in Europe. It's like a hangout film. It's like Richard Linklater made a heist movie. It's incredible. <laughs> um, so then we see Rusty and Isabel at a beachside villa. Um, and guess what? Her, her father wasn't just any thief. It was the man she described as the greatest thief in the world, Gaspar Lemarque, mm-hmm. played by the very not French Albert Finney. Oh, that's who I was trying to figure out because I thought it was uh, the guy who played Dumbledore, like Michael Gambone for a mm-hmm. second. I was like, no, 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 no. Finney, shit, that's perfect yes. casting too. Mm-hmm. Um, and they... Uh, Rusty gives the egg to Lamarck uh, as a gift and leaves father and daughter together. And then we go to Riley's favorite scene of the movie where Reuben meets up with Benedict to pay him in full. Uh, Grudges. They're awful. Nobody wins. (laughs) Um, Throughout their conversation, the Night Fox is is hidden, showing that he's still plotting. He's trying to plan something that's going to be bigger than the Bellagio heist, apparently. Uh, (laughs) And then we see the gang being really attractive and drinking and having fun and playing poker together Truly. as the movie ends with a freeze frame of Catherine Zeta-Jones falling down. Oh, yeah. We made it, y'all. And that is Ocean's 12. Um, Anna, you had less to say during this than you did with Ocean's 11. Yeah... <sighs> I don't know, like, I think it's just because I'd seen that one before, and so I had more things to talk about, but, like, I loved the two scenes, for me specifically, that I loved, were when Linus uh, was being rescued by his mom, for lack of a better term, and the whole scene... What other term? Mother? No, I mean rescued. A better term for than rescued. Um, and I really loved the scene where Julia Roberts played herself... I I did enjoy that this movie kind of made fun of itself a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's something that I really enjoyed compared to how serious the first one was. But, you know, I just think this series is not going to be for me, Dan. I'm sorry. Don't apologize to me. I'm sorry, Riley. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> 
I had a good time. I had a better time with this one. Like I said, there were parts that made me... This, okay, I did also forgot to mention the one other part that kind of killed me was when Topher Grace was in this one again. Mm-hmm. And he was like completely strung out and crusty. Like that had ball me of died. crap doesn't even work. <laughs> oh my God, that had me... He was going on, he's like, I quit the show. It made me laugh because like... <laughs> yeah. He did leave that 70s show earlier than everybody else. So I was like... Is this where this is supposed to fit in? It just made me laugh. But, you know, <laughs> I was there for the, the keen, sharp moments of joy. I don't know, Dan. I had fun at some points, but at the end of the day, it's still a heist, and heists don't really do it for me, my dudes. Riley, I'm so sorry. I feel so bad all the time. I'm just like... Oh, that's fine. Not... You know, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's not for me. I'm sure the movies that I love, you probably wouldn't love. And that is a-okay with me. Almost that certainly. A-okay. That is a-okay. Um, You're entitled to your wrong opinion. That's fine. <laughs> Riley, what about you? You can, I know this is your favorite, so you can wax poetic. You can roast um, me to filth too. I'm serious. I feel so bad. Um, I think this one is, it's my favorite because it is less it's less tight than the first one. The first one I feel like is really economic. It's really concise. They cut out a lot of like shaggy meandering stuff that we get in this one. But that's what I really like in this film. I feel like when they kind of go off on little tangents, when you see little flashes of the world that they kind of operate in, the international world especially, like the whole um, meeting with Matsui I think is a great scene. Because it's the whole film summed up in like about three minutes. It's experts speaking a language that the audience and the audience surrogate and lioness doesn't understand. It's gibberish. It makes no sense at all. And then trying to play by the rules of that game, Matt Damon completely puts his foot in his mouth and he gets kicked out of the meeting because he overreaches and he tries. To, he goes too big all at once. And then it turns out that, that the whole sequence was a joke being played on Linus to keep him in the dark about the true nature of the whole overarching scheme. So it's, so it's like the director and the writer playing a joke on the audience and playing a joke on the characters, I think is really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, it's, it's like a hangout movie. There's a lot of moments where it's just brainstorming between the guys where it's not like they're out doing something or they're trying to pull a fast one being con men it's desperate criminals just kind of looking at one another being like shit what do we do oh great time for a turf war guy (laughs) he's like this is (laughs) this is awesome and like um another seed that just kills me is when they're discussing um stealing the the stock uh, bond or whatever from the the agoraphobe and in the vanderwood house and matt damon like the whole time like he's just like getting visibly rankled whenever someone says like oh you know we just knocked the freak's power out and he's just getting more and more like fidgety about it and he just goes look do we want to be the kind of organization that that, that calls people you know freaks <laughs> and then <laughs> Everyone's uh, just like, oh, we're an organization now? And he's like, oh, well, would you call Emily Dickinson a freak? And then the <laughs> shot stays on him. 
and then you just hear off camera, and I don't know if it was ADR or if it was on-set improv, but you hear <laughs> Elliot Gould in characters go, are you hosting a Teleton we don't know about? <laughs> and then the same shot, you also hear almost simultaneously Casey Affleck going, who's Emily Dickinson? <laughs> oh, wait, no, Scott, Scott Conn says it. He's like, who's Emily Dickinson? And then immediately after that, they finally crack the whole, like, oh, we'll just lift the building thing. And then it's Ruben just pounding on the door, trying to get into the bathroom that Bernie Mac is in, just going, Frank, come on, let me in. Scott Conn's trying to talk him down. He's like, how do you think it feels when you're on the toilet and someone's just banging on the door? And Gould's response, like I said earlier, I'm pretty certain this was improvised too. He goes, I got to go to the toilet. Otherwise, I'm going to shit on your feet. <laughs> Scott Conn completely cracks. I have to it's, ask, Riley, how much of this movie do you think was like added on improvised things since it is a lot goofier than the last one? I want to say a lot of it. I feel like a lot of it has a solid... Because this was mm, right in the wake of major studio comedies, I think, shifting towards that more... Oh, you know, we'll just set up a pretty basic shot and let Paul Rudd and Will Ferrell and company kind of improvise for... Mm -hmm. 50 takes and then we'll just take the funny one that actually kind of progresses the plot along mm-hmm. um which you know in its moment was very funny but now that that's how they make every studio comedy and even every studio like blockbuster it's kind of boring kind of sick of it yeah but there were moments like in the train station where danny is like talking to the twins where he's like you know let me ask you something and then he turns and he points over to the other twin he goes you know let me ask you something it's those little moments where I want to feel like, like I want to believe that that was more of like a inspired moment by Clooney rather than just really, really good characterization in the screenplay. And I think that's a testament to the kind of movie that this is, where it feels very natural. Like you have a good grip on the characters and their dynamics with each other, even though you're getting the rug like pulled over your eyes a bunch by the movie itself. Like you still kind of understand the rules of the game, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, some trivia about the film. All right. Uh, in the scene where all the characters are guessing George Clooney's age, uh, <laughs> asking if he looks fifty, he was forty-two at the time. Um, while they were producing the movie in Rome, Brad Pitt and George Clooney weren't allowed back into their hotel room because the doorman thought they were vagrants. After the oh. actors were caught in a rainstorm while jogging. Oh. <laughs> Sounds to me like they're not vagrants. They're just sexy models. Uh, before Dan, filming, don't brush over I'm that. brushing over it. <laughs> I love to brush over sexy models. Um, no fun ever. Before filming began, Brad Pitt put out a memo to all crew members that they could only address George Clooney as his character's name. As Danny oh Ocean God. or Mr. Ocean. Uh, <laughs> that would drive me absolutely bonkers. George? Oh, right. I remember this. This was like the prank war yeah. set, basically. <laughs> I love this. George Clooney found out about it and he got back by putting bumper stickers on the back of Brad Pitt's car that said small penis on board. <gasps> <laughs> That's what it was. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, oh. 
The fa- Brad Brad's fake laughter in the meeting with Matsui, mm-hmm. where Matsui makes some kind of like an abstract comment, and then it's just Danny, <laughs> Danny and Rusty laughing. <laughs> Brad Pitt. I highly advise everyone to look that up if you haven't, if you don't remember it, because it is just one of the best cases of him doing that kind of fake laugh. Mm-hmm. He does the same one in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when he's on the. Uh, on the acid-dipped cigarette scene right at the end. It's such perfect. Like, I wish he does more out-and-out comedy because mm-hmm. he could really kill it. Um, so the fake wake-up call was based on a prank that George Clooney and Brad Pitt played on Julia Roberts when they were shooting Ocean's Eleven. They'd tell her that the call time was at 5 a.m. when it wasn't until noon. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's just mean that's mean <laughs> uh steven soderbergh thinks that oceans 12 is his favorite of the trilogy hmm. um, peter fonda filmed a cameo as bobby caldwell linus's dad but it got cut oh. breaks my heart that i know that information and i'll never get to see it <laughs> <laughs> um Matt Damon initially didn't want to return because he thought that his part was going to be too small. Matt. Uh, so they rewrote the movie to give him a bigger role. But then after he finished filming The Bourne Supremacy, he came back and he was like, could I have a smaller role? I'm really tired. And Steven Soderbergh said, no. Beggars can't be choosers, Mr. Mr. Um, it really blew my mind. I thought this one... In the trivia last week, you mentioned that Soderbergh wanted to shoot Ocean's Eleven in black and white, mm-hmm. and the studio said, no, we're going to cut the budget if you do that. It really blows my mind he didn't try that move again for this It one. would fit very well for this. Because I remember the first time I saw it, I said that to the people I was watching. I'm like, this movie would look so much better in black and white. And they were like, no, it wouldn't have any color. That's stupid. But just the <laughs> way the camera moves. They just, function- felt- they just functionally described what black and white is. Exactly. <laughs> but it would play out. I feel like there's like the way the camera moves, it would play out. And especially because it was filmed on location in Europe, it would play a lot more like new wave films. Mm-hmm. Like it has that sensibility and that sort of very same playfulness with like form and structure that like Godard and his contemporaries did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last piece of trivia is that according to Andy Garcia, Benedict has a cane in this movie because he got so angry that he kicked something very hard. That's as specific <laughs> oh. as he got. Oh my <laughs> God. Oh no. Um, I mean, I, too, have kicked something very hard and thought I was going to need a cane before, so <laughs> um, it was my toe on Valentine's Day. I So the first time that I watched this movie, I was kind of disappointed by it. I was like, oh, this isn't... Because I had watched Ocean's Eleven, I think, like, three times in a week prior to watching this. So I was just so like, oh, I can't wait for another one of this exactly the same again. Uh, and then I got this, and this was different. I was like, I, I'm just not, not all that into it. And I was like... It's fine, but then rewatching it this afternoon, I was like, "Oh man, another banger! Real fun." I I like the first one more just because I like the tightness of the mm-hmm. the 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 heist in that one more than the like loose, and it makes sense that's loose because it's all a diversion. Um, in this movie, I honestly haven't like for 
I was watching it earlier today, uh-huh. uh, like seven hours ago. In the back half of this movie, I really lose the thread on like exactly what's going on. Like I know that it's like, oh yeah, we know we found your dad. I don't quite know the extent that they were working with the Night Fox or pulling one over on the Night Fox, and I don't care. The whole time, yeah. I'm just like, oh, the reveal. Yeah, it was. And I think that mindset is why I love Tenet so much, mm-hmm. where it was just like, you know, the details of the plot, like I kind of follow. There's a lot of key words that I'm getting, musical cues that indicate what's going on. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of just about the vibe. You're along for a ride. Yeah. And I like that. My <laughs> biggest, um, I guess thing with a movie is i a hundred percent believe every movie's internal logic if they say that something makes sense in a movie i believe it i don't care i don't care whether or not it makes sense in the real world in the movie universe it makes sense i feel like i'm with you on that dan Mm -hmm. i'm trying i was like racking my brain because you know how heated i get about time travel i do yes but But I feel like I agree with you, like, in terms of most movies, like in this movie where it's technically like a logical real world movie, anything they say, like the fact that Julia Roberts exists, but also so does this woman who looks identical to her. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like that kind of stuff, like, yeah, I'll just let it happen. Let it slide. Sure. It could happen. Yeah. It's not like they were trying to say anything too, too crazy has ever happened. Yeah. So, Riley, would this movie be better, worse, or the same? With Elliot Gould. I want to change. Okay. I feel like I can change my age. Yes. Guys, I feel like three weeks in a row of that, people will be like, all right, we got it. You like this guy a lot. Um, let me see. Like, uh, You know what? I'll throw uh, another actor I really like in. Billy Crudup. Okay. Better worse than the same. Billy Crudup as Rusty. Oh, or how about the Night Fox? Sure. Ooh, Competitive? He's been uh, about I don't this. think so. As much as I like him, I wait, think that... Wait, 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 wait. So my question was better, worse, or the same? And your answer is, I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, it would be. It would probably be worse. Yeah. It would yeah. probably be worse. I what we have, so, I think, Tim. is a pretty airtight film. Not airtight. Shaggy. But the casting, I think, is impeccable. You the are Night very Fox. flippy floppy tonight. <laughs> yeah, I know. Whatever. Vincent Cassell as... Um, as the Night Fox, I forget his like real name, something European. He was a really great kind of smarmy, snarky, European-type character mm-hmm. without becoming the cliche of like, oh, these uh, stupid, insolent Americans. He, was, he had a genuine respect for Danny Ocean, but he wanted to show him up because he was so obsessed with himself. And that vanity... He's operating alone. He doesn't have this whole crew. I thought it was so fantastic. And it was... I don't think I've seen many uh, foreign language um, films with Cassell in them. But I have seen Eastern Promises, which is another one of his semi-contemporary, like, big Hollywood releases. And, God, he's terrific in that. Mm -hmm. And he's really off the charts in this like the whole dance sequence i remember i should have been rolling my eyes at it like it's a bit Mm -hmm. ridiculous it's it's silly even for the universe's logic and it was just so fun that i i couldn't get annoyed by it yeah i feel like um you know and i mean like finney like it's a lot of smaller parts filling in like the peter fonda's bobby caldwell performance like those tiny little parts 
but they had filling in. And I feel like without the character actors that they, I mean, not character actors, he's a star in his own right, but like without the actors in the roles for those tiny pieces, like Matsui or um, the Eddie Izzard role, like it just wouldn't be as, I don't know, intercontinental. It wouldn't have that same kind of like flair and variety versus like your standard, like, you know, Hollywood, we're going to get, Tom Cruise, Philip Seymour Hoffman in here. Like a Mission Impossible cast. Yeah. Uh, Anna, what about you? Better or worse or the same? JTT, again as Linus. No. I can't do it. Matt Damon's too cute in this role. I know this isn't a movie in which one would say cute, but I'm going to inappropriately use that word like I always do. I I just think Matt Damon is really good at this role. Like, I think... Maybe it's, I just think he's good at playing these little, like, try-to-be-cool, geeky guys. Mm-hmm. Like, I just see that a lot for him, and I see it fitting and working. Have you seen uh, The Informant? No. He's got glasses. <gasps> he's got glasses. I'm going to have got, to leave I right now, you guys. Mm-hmm. It's directed by Soderbergh, and it's all about white-collar crime. I got to go God. right now. I'm busy for the rest of the night. <laughs> I really hope Soderbergh just keeps up this retirement by just making crime films, like ostensibly crime films, like No Sudden Move, that are just about corporate crime in America and how these people are just like still profiting off of it. Mm-hmm. Literally, because good. that whole Expose development them. in No Sudden Move was such a fun, classic Soderbergh twist, where you're like, oh, like it's not like, you know, it's not Andre. Uh, you know Tarkovsky or anything, but it here's some like pretty explicitly left leaning material yeah. in the Hollywood footage, and we really get that in the third one in this trilogy. With my favorite <laughs> subplot, my favorite subplot in the in the whole series. Well, I'm excited to see what your favorite subplot is because I've actually never seen the third one, so it'll be the, a good time. The third one gets a bad rap, much like Godfather Part Three. It gets a much worse rap than I think it deserves. And what is the mm-hmm. one through line between the Godfather Part Three and Ocean's Thirteen? That's right, the Andy Garcia's James lazy eye. Con. Oh my God, son. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> James Conson. Is that like James when, is that when James Conn visits the Midwest? Oh my God! Welcome, James Conn. Welcome to Wisconsin. End welcome, of tweet. Mister Conn. <laughs> here's yeah, also here's just my cheese? plug. My plug. If anyone hasn't followed James Conn on Twitter at Real James Conn, all of the tweets are written by him, and you can tell. And goddamn, it's so funny. And he he does he sign is, off every tweet with end of tweet. End of tweet. Oh, love that. It's like me and Elliot filming Harry and Walter go to New York. End of tweet. <laughs> he, love that. End he's of one tweet. of my favorite old men on Twitter up there with uh, Kyle McLaughlin and Ringo Starr. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Personally, I'm a fan of Stephen King, you know. Oh, he is just such a loser Twitter. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> I read that. I'm like, you wrote Carrie, dude. Why are you doing these? Like, I love Stephen King. I love Stephen King, too. He's just such a goober online. Like, stop tweeting about Trump, man. You wrote The Stand. Get a grip. Um, You know who did have a good Twitter account before he passed away? Oh, you know what? I 100% agree. I know what you're going to say. Carl Reiner. That's right. God. 
I saw one of his tweets earlier today. It was on like March 20th of this year. I think it was like right before he passed or it was 2020. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know what? I really just like, I look at the world. I don't see anything funny to joke about right now. And I was like, oh, holy shit. That's real. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking funny. I mean, it was funny because it's just like, he's just being like, yeah, I, I'm the jokester. I'm 90 years old. I've seen a lot of stuff. This isn't funny at all. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, that's, that's oh, hilarious. Shit. In its own right, I think it kind of was, where he's like, I got nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Admitting defeat is a solid punchline. And then, would it be better or worse than the same with Jimmy Stewart as Gaspard Lamarck? Oh Oh my god. (laughs) If only to hear him do a French accent. As much of a French accent as Albert Finney does. Dan, I literally cannot imagine that with my own two ears. I really can't. Just we, Gaspard. We, we. Gaspard. (laughs) I think Albert Finney's approach to doing a French accent was speaking slightly slower. Because he's got a deep register, and I guess it'll just sound different if he slows it down. But I remember being like, this isn't, he's not even like doing a voice. He's just taking pauses. So, Anna. Yes. On a scale of one to five Julia Roberts cameos as Julia oh. Roberts, what do you give this film? I give it a two and a half. Riley, I already know what you're going to give it, but what's your answer? Um, I think this is another Steven Soderbergh slam dunk home run film. Um. I just, I mean, it's five out of five. I've written this in reviews of the film before, but God, who among us doesn't just want to be a globe-trotting international criminal just getting into scrapes and hijinks with your boys? Going to Amsterdam, getting arrested, stealing Fabergé eggs. It's, (laughs) it is, the audience's fantasies realized. Soderbergh cracked into the minds of the average American moviegoer in 2004 and said, hey, what if Europeans thought we were really cool again? Because they sure <laughs> as shit don't think so right now. Um, I think the, the, the real way that he cracked into the moviegoer's mind was, wouldn't you like to just look at George Clooney being really handsome and really suave? Because I do. Mm-hmm. I love a handsome, mm-hmm. suave man, you know. Mm-hmm. That's why I give as this... much as anybody else does. I, Sorry, Dan. I give this four George Clooney chuckles out of five. Ooh. Not the George Clooney chuckle. Yes, the George Clooney chuckle. I feel, like, I feel like his breath always smells good, you know. I bet he's got coffee breath. You think so? He does those commercials. He's drinking it a bunch in this movie. He seems like a guy who. Like an, like an adult man, like a working adult man, mm-hmm. like a father. Like, they drink coffee, they start their day, and they resent it, too. They hate mm-hmm. that they have to spend money on the coffee machine and getting the coffee. Even when they go out, they get more coffee. They hate it. It's an addiction. Mm. And it's got that coffee breath stink. No, I bet also reeks of coffee, <laughs> or at least did. May he rest in peace. Carl Reiner. Seems like a coffee stinky kind of guy. <laughs> Uh, I think at a certain yeah. age, men just start to 
permeate a, a smell <laughs> of coffee if they drink it. And it's you hard know, to get away. There are worse things to smell like, I think. That's As someone true. Who's been a dis- I've been distinctly smelly for various uh, phases in my life. There are mm-hmm. certainly worse things you can smell oh, like all yeah. the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, last summer working with the dogs. That sounds like a good point to wrap this up. If you like in conclusion, <laughs> you can support our deodorant fund on Patreon. Patreon.com slash in conclusion. My favorite scent is lavender, please. <laughs> Mine is pumpkin, and guess what? The pumpkin scents are coming back into the Target candle section, baby. Ooh. I am all in. Dan, it's almost Target bird buying season, and I am about <laughs> to burst through the doors of the Halloween section. Tell Anna it's almost Halloween bird time. Oh, she I will. be ready. So if okay. you want to support our candle and bird buying again that's patreon.com slash in conclusion you can also follow us on social media on facebook and twitter at and in conclusion on instagram at in conclusion podcast you can find me on twitter at dan o'keefe 86 i do exclusively tweet about mary hartman mary hartman boo so a show so nice they Made it every day for a year. <laughs> 366 times. That's um, exhausting. And then, Riley, where can they find you? If you enjoyed my tweets, or excuse me, if you enjoyed my thoughts <laughs> and you would like to see them in tweet form, fuck, I fucked it up. Oh my god, I sound so stupid. Idiot. Um, if you want to hear more of that, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at GoodPostRiley, G O O D. P-O-S-T-R-E-I-L-L-Y. I thought the handle was going to be a reference to uh, Good Luck Jonathan, the, the president of an African nation. I looked into his policies, and it is now a reference to Goodwill Hunting. That's what I meant <laughs> the whole I, time. We all I know. I do not idolize Good Luck Jonathan. I think it's a cool name. It's certainly a cool name, and I thought it would be a good online handle, but I love Goodwill Hunting, so it worked out fine. Someone said to me, it's like, oh, Good Post Riley, is that like Goodwill Hunting? And then in my head, I was like, yep, yep, that's exactly what I was going for the whole time. That's what I meant. Oh, well, Anna, where can they find you? Hello, you can find me on Instagram at AdamusPrime818, or you can find me on Twitter where I mostly just like and retweet little Nas X's tweets at Autobots. Oh, 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 at Autobots roll out capital O for auto capital B for bots capital R for roll and the ro- O in roll and the O in out are zeros. There we Whew. go. I almost glitched there for a second. Uh oh. Well, we will be back next week with the third and final film in the Oceans trilogy, Oceans Thirteen. Tune in for that. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, have fun, and get vaccinated. Uh, Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I did see her whole butt today, which is another sign that I am not ready to be a stripper.